Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Tatami Room, episode 17 in the classroom. This is your host, Martin, speaking. I uh, hope you all have had a good week, and I want to thank you for listening and tuning into this week's episode. So this week, I'll be talking about in the classroom, what goes on in the classroom specifically. So what I thought is I would fill you in on some specific games and activities that I like to do and just kind of go more in depth on what one of my classes looks like. I think I've kind of described sort of what a day at work looks like for me, but I think I've only just touched on something like, oh, I go to class, I do this in class, finish. Uh, And this episode, I really want to just show you all or tell you all rather what goes on inside one of my classes, some games, activities, etc. The Stoic quote for this week is from Zeno, who's actually the founder of Stoic philosophy. Better to trip with the feet than with the tongue. So I thought that was a funny quote. I hope you all enjoy it as well. The current events for this week, yes, I do have a current event this week that I'm excited to share with you all, is going to be about ospreys. And no, not ospreys, the birds. Uh, nor is it about Osprey, uh, the clothing brand. I believe there's a clothing brand uh, named Osprey. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, no, but the Ospreys that I'm going to be talking about are um, the U.S. military Ospreys. So I'll be delving into that after the daily life section. I wanted to also just uh, have a quick little check-in in terms of just update you all on how I'm doing personally. Um, I had a great weekend, very eventful weekend. I played volleyball Friday evening with some teachers that I work with. I've never played volleyball before, um, except in like middle school, I believe, when we'd have like a volleyball unit. But uh, so it's so very new to the sport, but I've been getting along. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I honestly just really enjoy hanging out with my teachers and getting to know them on a personal level and, uh, yeah, getting to know not just their work selves. So it's been uh, quite a bit of fun. Uh, I really enjoy going. So that was Friday evening. On Saturday, I attended a Gakshu Hapyokai, which is basically a presentation of the work that students have done so far uh, in the year. And this was at Iseki uh, Shogako, so Iseki Elementary School. And so it, during this presentation, you know, you have the parents and relatives and friends and family there, and I think a couple of representatives from the um, Board of Education, including myself, were present as well. But it was a lot of fun. I pr- really enjoyed um, the kids' performance. In particular, um, one of the the third and fourth graders, so it, it, every class had a little demonstration, um, and it went for like first and second graders, third and fourth graders, and fifth and sixth graders. But the third and fourth graders uh, did a recap of, they, they showed a little snippet 
of what they had learned in each of their classes. So they had like Japanese class, they had a science class, and they had English class as well. And obviously my favorite part was the English class because that's kind of where I'm involved. Um, and it was really funny because one of the kids uh, whose name starts with an O became Oton Sensei, um, which my name in Japanese uh, changes to Maton. So, you know, he became Oton um, and kind of uh, played the role of the ALT or the English speaking teacher. And it was quite funny to uh, see them perform and they did a great job. So that was uh, plenty fun. And then Sunday, I had a chance to make it down to the Tanegashima Utsu Center. Uh, which is the Tanegashima Space Center located down in Minamitane. I've been there once or twice, but this time I actually got to explore it quite a little bit more, uh, and that was uh, a really good, really cool experience, I should say. I also went to a restaurant while I was in Minamitane, which is the, yeah, like I said, the town uh, in the south, south of the island. I went to this restaurant where I had the best okonomiyaki I've had in my life. Um, okonomiyaki is a really good uh, Japanese street food. Usually it's uh, it's savory. I don't know if there's a sweet variety. Um, they're the ones I've had have always been savory. But this time, so I went with my coworker, and he, apparently there's, I don't know who came up with this, but he says that if you put bananas into okonomiyaki, so this sweet fruit into the savory dish, it kind of uh, becomes uh, really good and really tasty. So we bought some Tanegashima bananas. Um, yes, there's bananas that grow um, on the island here. They're kind of small little, cute little bananas. Well, we brought them to the store, or the restaurant rather, and we handed them to the cooks. And apparently there's like a, sp a special or secret menu or whatever. Um, but if you ask them, they will put the banana into the okonomiyaki for you. So we did that, and uh, yeah, hands down, best okonomiyaki I've ever tasted. Um, and yeah, I don't know, it's uh, it's a little surprising when uh, my coworker told me about his plans for the banana uh, okonomiyaki. I was a little surprised too. I don't think even many Japanese people know that that kind of trick or that kind of modification of the okonomiyaki. Um, so if, if you're listening in Japan, you might be as baffled um, as I was when I, I learned that, um, you know, bananas and okonomiyaki work well together. Um, but yeah, uh, it was uh, a lot of fun and the food was great. So if you're ever in Japan and trying okonomiyaki, then uh, I, I recommend uh, bringing your own banana or looking up the menu to see if they have a secret uh, banana okonomiyaki as well, because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, with that being said, let's get uh, right into the daily life section. All right, welcome to the daily life section. Oh, daily life, but I'm going to be talking about uh, my experience within the classroom, specifically describing one class in particular that I kind of like to do. And uh, yeah, so let's get started. This class, uh, I don't do it every time, not all my classes look like look like this, but I think it's a pretty representative uh, class that I would have. And just kind of as a sidebar, this is a class that I would typically do with a smaller school that has about eight students in that grade level. And uh, 
speaking of grade level, elementary school, uh, third, fourth, uh, fifth graders are kind of uh, ideal for this class. Uh, the class should be, for me, the class is 45 minutes. So uh, I feel like you can make it a longer class or depending on how much, if you're teaching, um, you want to try this out. Um, I don't know how much time other teachers have to work with. I feel like 45 minutes per period is kind of standard, but yeah, that's how much I had to work with. In any case, so I start, uh, I always start with a warm-up uh, slash greeting, or they call it aisatsu in uh, Japanese, and that takes about five minutes. I'll ask, I'll say hello, or hello everyone, and then they have to say, okay, hello, Mr. Martin, uh, or Maton Sensei, uh, I let them say whichever one, honestly, I don't, I don't mind, although hearing, I think Maton Sensei sounds more natural to me because, uh, I've been a black belt in judo for a while now, so I think I've gotten used to my name and Sensei being put together, but it feels weird to hear Mr. Martin, I feel like I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gotten used to that yet. Uh, yeah, I was only in, I was in high school just a little, a little over three years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, so they say my name, and if there's the primary teacher present, then they'll say, and, miss, nantoka, nantoka. Um, so yeah, there's the hello. Uh, I'll also ask, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm happy, I'm uh, whatever, a bunch of answers. And uh, I'll also kind of ask around, because usually one person will say it, and you only hear like one answer out of like the five or six people that actually said something. So then I'll go, oh, okay, so just raise your hand if you're feeling hungry or if you're tired, just to kind of get everyone to participate a little bit more and kind of get a better feel for how the class is doing. And the next are the day and date, which uh, the kids frequently confuse uh, day and date it's really, I think it's hard for them to hear that ending difference. But yeah, first I always would go with the day. And then, you know, like, it's Friday, it's Monday, that kind of vibe. And I have also taken to uh, asking them the spelling. I think especially for fourth and fifth graders, it's good to kind of uh, get them in the habit of thinking about the phonetics of the word, um, the spelling of the word uh, that that they're talking about because even if they know the ABC, I think the ABC already in third grade, they're uh, looking at the like uppercase letters, which they call omoji. Uh, but the even if they know like ABCDE, when they hear December or December, the, the, the spelling is not apparent whatsoever. So uh, doing a little bit of spelling, I think is, is quite important. So I do, do the spelling for the day. I ask the date. I also do the spelling for the date. Uh, or the month, rather. So it's it's December. Uh, how do you spell December? When it was November, how do you spell November? Um, we also do the weather. Uh, so it's rainy, it's sunny, it's cloudy. Usually the three kind of main ones <laughs> that we have here in uh, Nishinomote. Uh, and I also do a spelling on that one. Cloudy is the hardest. Uh, they don't hear the L a lot sometimes. And then finally the time. Uh, you know, 11.32 uh, a.m. or Well, it wouldn't be p.m., but some, some classes I teach are in the p.m.s. But yeah, so that takes about five minutes. And then after the aisatsu or the warm-up, we move on to 
kind of a pronunciation or word practice, which, you know, it's hatsuwon renshu, which is pronunciation practice. This takes about 10 minutes. Uh, what I like to do for this part is kind of have laminated, or you don't need lamination, but laminated is nice. Have vocabulary cards, paste them onto the blackboard with magnets, and then kind of have students review them. So, you know, like a repeat after me. Um, I also tell students to watch my mouth just so they're able to get the pronunciation right. I found that in Japan, um, you don't look at, I think a lot of people don't look at other people's faces when they're, when someone's talking. Like I'll notice, for example, at the morning meetings, not everyone is looking like right at, actually basically no one is looking right at the face of the person who's speaking, which, and I think I've gotten used to it now as well but for me like when I first came I'm it's very natural for me to kind of look and make eye contact with the speaker whereas as I don't think that's the case over here but think about it when you're learning a language and you're trying to kind of pronounce something especially a sound that's not in your kind of native collection of, of sounds it's important to kind of understand or have an example of well, what kind of motor functions should I be using for the L to come out, for example? <clears throat> anyway, so I do this pronunciation practice about two to three times. So if I'm doing with vegetables, you know, I'll be like cucumber, and they repeat cucumber, cucumber. Okay, boom, move on. I think I mentioned this a little bit, but common, uh, or at least with the L, but common sounds uh, that are tough at least for the kids in Japan here, or the English R. So for Japan, they have an R, but it's a more sharp R, like Ringo is apple. I think Americans would struggle with this R actually, because the tongue moves farther forward than in the English, uh, English R, right? So, um, Ringo, which is apple, hidari, which is left. Uh, those R's, your tongue is moving uh, quite far forward versus think of an English R like road um, and your your tongue isn't in that front position. It's moved, shifted a lot farther back in your mouth. You're doing like a r road, not not a road. Um, yeah, so it's that, that sound is hard. And then so is L. L is actually um, not in uh, the, there's no L sound in any of the Japanese alphabets. So that, that one's kind of hard as well. Uh, we were recently reviewing bell because it's Christmas and you, know, you got bells and whatnot. And usually they will, uh, you know, say it something like beru, the last, instead of the two L's at the end, it's a ru. Um, which kind of sounds like it, um, call that kind of katakana English. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the phonetic alphabet, Japanese, katakana is the phonetic Japanese alphabet. And so, beru is, yeah, katakana English. <clears throat> the time for this exercise, I said kind of 10 minutes, but it really depends on the number of vocab words and what other activities I have planned or the main teacher has planned and also the level of familiarity that the students have. Like, is it their first time, their second time, or is it their third lesson already learning these vocab words? I, I think 
for colors or something it's uh it's quite easy they they know those they get they pick up on those fairly quickly even if it's like their first time but if you're doing uh, i was recently doing places at school and if it's their first time like learning uh school principal's office or arts and crafts room which are kind of long terms to remember it might take a little bit longer for the pronunciation and word practice section the next thing that i like to do is called pointing game it's not really a game but i feel like calling it a game it engages the students more uh, so it's it's good to do that it's five to ten minutes but basically you have all these vocab words pasted up on the blackboard so what you're just going to do is point at a card and have the students say what that card is in english uh, first you can do like a hey okay repeat after me and point say it and then have them repeat it after you and if you're confident in their level you can just say hey okay i'm gonna point i just want you to say it as fast as you can and for ones that are particularly challenging i would say that have the entire class repeat it uh, once or twice uh, so i'm going to go back to the arts and crafts room or school principal's office example where maybe one kid would get it but even they wouldn't be very sure about the pronunciation so what i would do in that at that point is i you know i point my finger only i only hear one voice instead of 20 and i say okay this is what it is school principal's room okay let's say it together and so you kind of review the ones that are challenging there <clears throat> and then once you feel confident once i feel confident in the student's ability or ability to remember the words that are on the wall i you can level up the game i like to level it up it also uh you know, the students are more engaged as well. Uh, but what you can do to level it up is start speeding up. So first, you know, you kind of point, have them say it, okay, next one. And then once once they're comfortable, you can start pointing a little bit faster, bit by bit by bit. I think towards the end, I say, okay, we're going to go to level three or something. And then at the end of level three, I'll just start pointing and you know, so fast that even it would be challenging even for a native English speaker. Um, and then they all just start laughing at the end. I think um, that that's kind of a little bit of amusement value. Um, yeah. Next is missing game. Uh, again, not really a game, sort of a game. Uh, but this missing game also takes about five to ten minutes. I think doing the pointing game first is a good idea, just so... Uh, they're familiar with all the vocab words but now what you you do is you ask the students to close their eyes you take a couple of the about 10 to 15 vocab words that you have on board off the board and then have students open their eyes and kind of raise their hands to guess which one is missing and i think i really like this game it's uh, i think it's great the students are always really i thought you know Sometimes they wouldn't be sure, you know, there wouldn't be hands raised, but there's always, you know, they're really excited to be the one to kind of guess or solve the puzzle of like which one's missing. Uh, so I always get plenty of volunteers and uh, yeah, it's a good way to again, just kind of drill, uh, drill the vocab words that you're trying to instill. So I've done, I mean, pointing game and missing game, I've done with quite a few concepts. 
But just this, again, this past week, last week, I think, I did missing game with places at school, like gym, arts and crafts room, lunchroom, etc. Uh, but I've also done it with things like fruits, veg- fruits and vegetables, or food as well. So you basically do this with kind of anything. <clears throat> Usually for the missing game, right? So once someone, what I like to do is say, hey, okay, raise your hand if you want to be the one to kind of guess um, the, the correct answer, right? And so one student will raise their hand, they get the, the right answer, and usually I'll have everyone repeat it after. So even if they guess, okay, arts and crafts room, okay, great, arts and crafts room, let's all say it one more time. This is especially important, I feel like, for the words <laughs> like arts and crafts room that are a bit uh, that's not a word, but the concepts that are a bit longer and a little bit more confusing, because even if that one person who you know really wants to volunteer um, knows it, that's only they're only volunteering because they have a pretty certain grasp of what you know the what's missing or what the concept is. Whereas some other people who are not volunteering, you know, they might have forgotten it or something like that. It's always good to just you know someone guesses the answer and then just okay, let's review it with everyone. And then this, the missing game, you can level up quite easily as well. What I like doing is a really simple one. Just increase the number of cards that I take off the board. Uh, you know, instead of just taking two cards, I'll take three. Um, three or four, sometimes even five. That's a great way to increase the difficulty. And another way that I've found that kind of makes it a little bit more challenging and more exciting for the students is I shuffle and move around the vocab words that are remaining on the board right because a lot of the time what happens is you take a couple pieces off the board and what they're remembering is not really the vocab words but kind of the places that the vocab words were and you know what's missing isn't necessary like oh lunchroom but oh the top left square or something like that so if you shuffle you take a couple out and you shuffle the ones that are left on the board they really have to think hard about okay which one is actually not there out of the ones that were previously on the board um this brings me to my last game so first we had the warm-up then we got pronunciation practice um, about the pointing game missing game and then this is my favorite I love to play this game. Uh, I think it's fun for, uh, it's, it's a great activity because it's fun for me. So it's, it's fun for the teacher um, and it's fun for the kids as well. But I call this the Blitz game. It's about speed. So Blitz game is kind of the name that I came up with. I feel like there's probably another name for it as well. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so I recommend if you're ever thinking of trying any of these, uh, I feel like the most teachers probably already thought of them. They're not very... Uh, sophisticated games but yeah there's uh, I like leaving a lot of time for this game because like I said I enjoy it and I think the kids do so as well the children here are going to have a textbook that has a bunch of little kind of flashcards um, or cutouts that they should have um, they, they should have them cut out before the lesson but they have vocabulary words they can cut out from the back of their textbook whether that's fruits vegetables or kind of colors and shapes, that kind of vibe. But what I like to do is they're gonna lay out one set of vocabulary words or or two sets, depending on level. And when I say ready, 
you know, you got you can do this with if there's only four kids in the class, you do it all at the same table, or you could do you can do teams, um, or you if there's like eight kids, then you can uh, divide it and have four different kind of matches going on at once. But anyway, so me or the Japanese teacher will say ready. Students put their hands on top of their heads, and then one of the teachers says a vocab word um, such as, you know, red triangle, kiwi fruit, or cucumber, and the first one to um, kind of touch or slap that kind of little cutout vocab word is the one who kind of scores a point, essentially, and takes that vocab word off the table. Um, you know, once you, uh, once they, uh, they win it, they go ahead and put it uh, in their own little pile, um, and so this game goes on until there are uh, no cards left. If there's kind of a tie or it's not obvious, you know, who put their hand on it first, I'll have the kids do like a rock, paper, scissors, uh, which is good because they're not doing it in Japanese of doing like the jankenbon. They're doing the, you know, rock, paper, scissors, one, two, three. Okay, so that adds kind of a fun little element to it as well. And so... You know the when it get also when it gets close to the end of the game, I like to make it a little bit more challenging for the kids by saying some vocab words that are not on the board anymore. Because let's say there's only two cards left, right? And everyone, you know, it's like pink triangle and then white square. Um, you know, everyone's just kind of listening for those two. But you know, I'll throw in like okay red square or something like that just to kind of you know stand have them at keep them at, on their toes and uh it's always quite quite funny because there's about half of them and when i do that the first time who will kind of flinch or even like slap the table and uh think that they got a vocab word correct and only to find out that i kind of uh i kind of tricked them um but yeah i think that makes it quite fun and it really engages their listening as well and then at the end you, know, you count up your cards, you know, always count them up in English, it's a good little counting exercise for them as well. Count up your cards, you know, winner is the one that had the most cards. And then, so this one, it's, uh, this game, I think it's quite fun, you can play multiple rounds as well. I think one thing that I like to do is, let's say there's one kid who's really kind of advanced and they're just kind of, you know, going, going off and whatnot, and even if the, the person they're playing against knows you know, the vocab words, maybe they're just slower and, you know, they just take their time to process things, which is completely fine. Um, so I don't, but I don't want to make them feel like, you know, left out or whatnot. So what I'll do is I will say uh, vocab words that are closer to them on the table or vocab words that are kind of uh, in their field of view or one that I think they're looking at. <laughs> I'm kind of fixing the game a little bit. And then also something that I've done before is when, let's say, you know, someone gets, you know, destroyed, They're, we're doing pairs, there's four of them, someone get one, one person gets destroyed, another has an overwhelming victory, and then it's like a close victory at the other board, uh, what we can do is uh, we can have like a team game where we have the person who, you know, got destroyed team up with the person who had a big victory and the two people that were relatively close can team up as well. And I found that that kind of really evened uh, the team match, and it was very competitive. So I think the the kids love it. I I'm, I find the game interesting. 
Um, I always enjoy seeing, uh, you know, who wins and who can do it the fastest. But yeah, that's the Blitz game for you. Um, takes about 10 to 15 minutes. It can take even longer. Honestly, I feel like you could even... I mean, this is this would be stretching it, but you could do even like a, an entire class of just blitz game. Maybe do different like vocab words, um, or switch the vocab words halfway through or something. But you know, I feel like this it, this never gets old. Um, it's always a it's always a hit. Um, yeah. In any case, that's kind of my little uh, rundown about a class. Um, just to kind of recap things, start with the warm up for about five minutes. Move on to some pronunciation practice. It's the drill part. Pointing game, just pointing and repeating. Missing game, just hiding a couple cards and asking what's missing. And then the blitz game that I just described. Um, yeah, that kind of fills up, usually fills up about an entire class. Uh, yeah, I think I would say this is a pretty typical schedule for me, at least for third, fourth, and fifth graders. I think in the future I have a really fun lesson that I've been doing with middle schoolers. So I will uh, kind of have an in-depth uh, lesson, lesson, an in-depth podcast about that as well, uh, just because I'm, I'm excited to share that one with you all. I think that middle school lesson is also uh, quite fun and engaging um, and uh, is definitely a lot more, a lot different compared to uh, teaching like third, fourth and fifth graders. So it's kind of another, another perspective. But anyway, let's move on to the current events section where I'll be talking about Ospreys. Alright, welcome to the current events section, everyone. I apologize, I think my tone at the end of the daily life section made it sound like this was going to be an upbeat and uh, happier section, but unfortunately the reason I'm talking about Ospreys is because Recently, there was an Osprey accident. So there's an accident involving the U.S. Uh, military plane, the Osprey. So the inspiration for this story is that I saw a couple of uh, military people, at, U.S. military people, at the local family mart in uh, Nishinomote, and I was wondering, well, what what are they doing here? Um, and I saw them twice, I think, in the span of a couple of days. So yeah, I was just curious, and I found out that. What basically happened was a CV-22 uh, Osprey crashed off the coast of Yakushima. Uh, so that's one of the islands that's located, I would say, to the southwest of Tanegashima. But it's fairly close, about 30-minute ferry ride away. So kind of right in the backyard, essentially. And so we might be wondering, what's a CV-22 Osprey? Um, well, Ospreys are tilt-rotor um, aircraft used by the U.S. military. Tilt-rotor um, aircraft are ones that basically can function as both helicopters. They can take off uh, and land as a helicopter, you know, where there's like blades that are spinning in an upright position. But they can also turn into a real plane where those rotors tilt hence the name tilt rotor, um, those rotors tilt forward and it turns into like a, a propeller plane that you would see. <clears throat> and these military aircraft were actually used extensively in Afghanistan and are currently being used as part of a deterrence strategy against China, um, among other things. I'm pretty sure they, they're probably being used all over the world, but um, yeah. In any case, this happened uh, a bit ago, uh, November 29th, 
2023, about uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Japanese uh, Standard Time. The cause or why uh, is uh, still unknown, but apparently the aircraft was making kind of a mayday call uh, and uh, someone reported that there was fire coming out of the left rotor. But investigation to the cause, um, well, it has not, nothing has been confirmed yet and nothing has been ruled out. Um, I already mentioned kind of who's involved, but the Osprey or this Osprey was an Osprey that was being flown and operated by U.S. Uh, military, uh, U.S. Air Force specifically, uh, personnel um, who were operating the plane. And this plane had uh, eight service members who were conducting a routine training exercise. I think they were flying back up to a military base in Tokyo. So the timeline goes a little bit as follows. Um, so conditions were clear and there wasn't a bad wind um, on that day, November the 29th. Then, you know, there's an emergency landing requested around 3 p.m. Uh, soon after uh, the aircraft crashes off the coast of Yakushima. I think quite soon there was one crew member uh, whose body was recovered. And uh, more recently, on December 4th, five other uh, bodies or five other people were also found and two bodies uh, were recovered from the ocean. Unfortunately, uh, as of this time, I don't believe any of the crew members were found alive. There are still two crew members who are unaccounted for, so I, I, I hope that, you know, they're alive somehow, but I do think that the U.S. military has um, transitioned from a search and rescue to I forgot what the technical term was, but it's more of like a, a salvage and recover operation. So they don't have high hopes for those two um, people that are uh, unaccounted for. After, like shortly after um, the crash, uh, so that around November 29th, Japan asked uh, US, the, the U.S. to investigate and also to ground its Osprey fleet. Um, so there's 24 U.S. Ospreys in Okinawa Prefecture at the moment, so um, they're definitely uh, being used frequently in Japan. <clears throat> However, the U.S. promptly went and ignored the demand of the Japanese government and has kept flying Ospreys, um, the ones that are not the CV-22 type. Um, other V-22 types are okay, I think MV-22 uh, are still flying around. I think the U.S. has launched an investigation, so it is kind of complying with that part of Japan's demands, but um, it's <laughs> still kept uh, flying, you know, the Ospreys, which is contrary to what um, the Japanese government requested. The Jap or excuse me, the U.S. government maintains, or I think their position is, that the Osprey has a statistically lower, quote, mishap rate than other aircraft um, in its arsenal. Um, the Marine variant, or the MV-22, apparently had a 3.16 per 100,000 flight hours mishap rate, I think back in 2022, uh, which uh, I, I'm not, I don't know about mishap rates extensively, but I think that was apparently under uh, what some other aircraft had. <clears throat> the problem is that this isn't the first time an Osprey 
has crashed. So there's actually been a couple other Osprey accidents as well. In 2016, there was an Osprey accident involving an MV and not a CV. This time it was a CV-22. In 2016, it was an MV-22 uh, Osprey that crashed. This was operated by the Marines and it crashed in Okinawa, injuring two people. And unfortunately, in Australia, in both 2017 and 2023, there were Osprey accidents that had three casualties each. Now, the implications um, of this whole kind of incident are first off, a change of plans. So this is going to affect US and Japanese uh, strategy in in the region to deter China. Uh, China has been quite aggressive in the region recently, and Ospreys were a component. I'm not sure how much of a key component they were, but they were definitely a component uh, of uh, Japan and the US's plans of deterring China in the area. Um, and like I mentioned, there are 24 uh, Ospreys in Okinawa. So, you know, having all those grounded, um, well, it's going to have to kind of, the U.S. and uh, Japanese strategy is going to have to shift. Now, another uh, implication of this incident is that it's going to stress Japan and U.S. relations. So the Japan, so Japan and the U.S. are on good terms. Uh, we are military allies, but this time the U.S. has not heeded um, a Japanese advisory, and this is on Japanese soil. This is in Japanese territory, right? So I don't think the Japanese uh, government or the Japanese people feel very kindly about that. And uh, this also, like this whole incident, um, also strains Japan-U.S. relations because Japanese citizens themselves are scared of the craft the ospreys crash landing near them many ospreys that are located in japan are in bases that are quite close to urban and civilian centers and now i mean it's unfortunate um that people lost their lives in this osprey accident but just imagine um, the catastrophe that could happen if you know an osprey crashes not into the water but you know into a high rise or something like that for example that's not even talk about that <clears throat> in addition public support um for the u.s uh, because of this public support for the u.s japanese alliance can weaken and there's also a kind of uh, potential for distrust distrust being uh, sown among the two governments you know if uh, the u.s isn't following japanese government demands japan might start thinking twice about what kind of military concessions or uh, might start thinking twice about its alliance with the u.s and finally, uh, the, I guess the bigger issue that's hanging um, over this is China's challenge, where, like I mentioned, there's mounting Chinese aggression in the region, and uh, that ought to be met with unity. And now if the U.S. and Japan are not kind of on the same wavelength, that could cause problems, and uh, the deterrence strategy could definitely weaken. In any case, that was my current events section for you all this week i hope you all enjoyed listening uh, this has been something that's uh i think been the talk of the town on the island so i want to fill you all in as well with that being said let's cut to the outro i will see you in a little bit <music>
Alright, welcome back everyone. Before I wrap things up, it's time for your word and stat of the week. So the word of the week this week is Bonenkai. Bonenkai. And this means end of year party. Now, what's kind of interesting about this word is that it's made up of three kanji. The last two are um, not unusual. Uh, nen is uh, year. Kai is kind of a meeting or party. But the first one, so the bo, which is the kanji for wasureru or to forget, um, is kind of interesting because it basically means that <laughs> the literal sense of this word is kind of forgetting the year party, sort of. And I think you all get what that entails. Um, fortunately, I have a couple bonenkais. Um, forgetting the year parties coming up. So I'm uh, quite excited about those. I'm uh, excited to close out the year with some uh, new friends and coworkers I made along the way. Now, the stat of the word, stat of the week this week for y'all is 53 meters. And this is the length of a Japanese H-2A rocket. So this week, like I said, I got to visit the Space Museum or go down to Minamitane and go to the Space Center again. And uh, I got to see some models of some rockets that have been launched uh, in the past and ones that are still being used. But anyway, I thought it was uh, an interesting stat. 53 meters is uh, quite long. Um, yeah, the H-2A is a big rocket. But yeah, 53 meters is your stat of the week, and Bonenkai is your word of the week. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening. Please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot if you're not subscribed already. Um, yeah, this was quite a long episode, but I hope you all enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun preparing and recording this one. Um, I hope everyone has had a great week, and I hope you have a great week uh, this week or next week. In any case, pera spera ad astra. Peace and love.